Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Sanchez 1-7, lost 6 with a 2.83 earned run average for the Braves last year. And signing on with the Nationals as a free agent. 3-2 to judge. Swing and a miss. Struck him out with a diving change. Well, hello again and welcome inside our NBC Sports Washington podcast studios. The countdown is under 24 hours. The Racing Presidents podcast is back Wednesday, March 27th, one day removed from Major League Baseball coming to D.C. for 2019. Bob Trossett alongside my partners, Todd Dibus and Chase Hughes. Fellas, it's in the air. Clear skies for tomorrow in terms of weather. I know you know you know we're starting <laughs> with that. Looks at me. Todd is upset with me right now, but I had to say it. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> Bob, keep in mind this is a, an afternoon first pitch, so that could be all day if it rains. That's right. It's, it's it could be, but I, I just kind of <laughs> I, I kind of looks I, at me. I kind of like <laughs> to get Todd going though. So hey, one quick thought before we jump in here today. I had a chance to go to the Nationals homecoming gala down at the District Wharf inside the Anthem last night. It was a Tuesday night. Love the Anthem. Yeah, oh, man. It was my first time down there. I'm actually moving to the Navy Yard right after the season starts. I'm really jacked up and, and super excited about it to be right on top of the stadium, really. You guys know where to find me. Uh, this It effectively kicked off the season last night. One thing I learned, however, I guess I maybe I didn't – maybe I relearned it, but Davey Martinez – loves hugs he's a huge hugger he and Lindsay zarniak were up on the stage to kick kick off the event the place was mobbed he gets anthony rendon he put him on blast he had him come up anthony he probably co- tried to embarrass anthony oh, he, oh my god oh he totally did he gave him the mic and then he's like hey wait a second let's put the mic down and just hug it out <laughs> god what, what's up with the hugging that goes on uh davy's very pro hug he, he's and it's not bro hug really Have you ever one? It, it's super hug I try not to hug people I cover. <laughs> that was part Conflict of journalism of 101. And put, getting Rendon on the stage is fantastic news. Anything to make him more uncomfortable is uh, I'm very much for. Chase, we're going to be getting to your uh, predictions one last time later on in this podcast. and You, you designed a, a bunch of good stuff here with the over-unders. I just thought of a really good one we got to add. How many hugs? Over-under. No, no, no. An over-under on how many days in their Major League Baseball season can one of the hosts of this podcast Get a hug from Davey Martinez. That is phenomenal. <laughs> Todd's sitting over here like, where is I vote this Todd. going right I vote now? Todd. <laughs> yeah, I think I would have the lowest odd. <laughs> All right. Enough of the hug talk. Let's jump into the logistics here of this podcast. Let's start with Anibal Sanchez. He threw five and a third innings Monday against New York, the, the New York Yankees in a exhibition game. It started, I believe it was a 5.05 early first pitch there. 
Nats won. That was their final game of the season, obviously, or in spring training, I should say. So, Todd, what were your takeaways from Anibal? And then also, can you kind of like round up sort of for fans on the on the other end of this podcast as to what the rotation might look like from a starting standpoint, one through five? He looked sharp on Monday. Um, what we know is he's going to throw a lot of different stuff, and there's going to be a lot of funk going on there. He's not going to be fastball reliant. I thought it was really interesting. He had three strikeouts, three three of his strikeouts in particular in that game were really interesting. Two in the first inning, he got guys on, it was Aaron Judge and Luke Voigt on this thing, the scoreboard, well, StatCast was calling a splitter, but it's a change-up if you ask Annabelle, what is that thing? He, <laughs> he would say it's a... He, he's got sink. Yeah, it's a change-up um, diving toward kind of the back feet of a right-handed hitter. And then he struck out Stanton looking on a 91-mile-an-hour fastball. And the reason he was able to strike out Stanton looking is because, in my mind, I didn't get a chance to ask Stanton this, but certainly the the tunneling effect of those two pitches made Stanton think, this is the pitch that's going to dive out of the strike zone. I saw this when he tried it with other guys in the first inning, and he's not going to get me with it. Instead, he just stood there and whap. It just hit the glove and never died, right? It never, it never dove toward his feet and never left the strike zone. And he was like, you could see him kind of like half roll his eyes and walk away. So this is what Anibal Sanchez does now and what he has to do. He has to live on the corners. He has a limited margin for error. Um, this is why last year was such a resurrection for him in Atlanta. He's, he probably throws about six pitches at this point, uh, just a couple variations of the same pitch. And he's been doing it for a while, so he's very smart about it. And this is what we're going to see from him throughout the year. Changing speeds, changing sequences, trying to mess with guys just when they think they have it figured out, he's going to try to reverse it back on them. Not a ton of strikeouts, probably. I think in spring, I mean, he had five strikeouts in 13 innings. uh, But he's not a guy who's going to, you know, have a huge uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio or, or strikeout per nine innings ratio, but... I think the Nationals, it's probably unreasonable to expect that he does what he did last year in Atlanta. For sure. The 280 RA was um, basically half of what he had averaged the previous three years, 5.67 ERA. So certainly you don't want him to be that level of a disaster. I mean, he was at a point where it was probably, you know, the, the clock was ticking on his time in the majors. Sure, and he, had he this, was on the edge of being out of baseball. Absolutely. He had this fantastic season with the Atlanta Braves. Seemed to have a good connection with Kurt Suzuki, right? Yep. He's now in Washington. So I think the expectation level for him that I would put it at is league average. If you can get league average statistics from him, or maybe slightly above league average, then you're in pretty good shape. Last year's league average ERA was 4.15. If he's anything better than that, I think the Nats are in pretty good shape because you have Max Scherzer, you have Steven Strasburg, you have Patrick Corbin. Now, their rotation, I think, best-case scenario, might be the best in the majors or one of the best in the majors. Um, certainly there's some good ones out there. But there are some questions. Anibal Sanchez represents a question. Uh, Patrick Corbin had this great year last year, but you know it was kind of a breakout season of sorts because previously he, had, he hadn't put up a year quite as good, so you're hoping that he can recreate that. Strasburg's coming off a year where it was probably the worst of his career, and Jeremy Hellickson is Jeremy Hellickson. So there are some questions there, and Anibal Sanchez is one of them. But if you add it all up, every team in baseball has questions in their rotation. I think the Nationals probably have among the fewest questions if you rank them in, in, in Major League Baseball. So, Todd, after, to kind of stem right off that, Chase, 
one through three, we're all pretty confident that it's going to be Scherzer, Corbin, and Strauss for the, the entire year, you'd hope. Mm-hmm. What about four and five? So, a couple things. They'll start Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and then go Anibal Sanchez, and then eventually bring in Jeremy Hellickson as the fifth starter in about two weeks. They have a lot of off days at, this, at the front of the schedule here, which means they don't need a fifth starter, and Hellickson will be the quote-unquote long man out of the bullpen um, until he till they need a fifth starter, which isn't until uh, Scherzer and Strasburg have already made three starts. After that, we'll see... We'll see Jeremy Hellickson actually in Philadelphia to close out that series. So, little revenge game there. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that's what everyone will be thinking about. Yeah, Jeremy Hellickson. Oh, revenge that's going to be the billing versus, of, uh, of that game. Is Jeremy yeah. Hellickson versus old team. The, right? the, the whole series is hanging on that. <laughs> um, so, we'll see. Obviously, Max Scherzer opening day. We'll see Steven Strasburg on Saturday, following the day off, and then we'll see Corbin on Sunday. And then there's another day off already, and then. Speaking of Philadelphia, they arrive in Nationals Park, and that's when we'll see Anibal Sanchez deal with the Phillies. Um, And the varied guys in their lineup, not one particular guy, he'll deal with everybody in their lineup. And then we'll see Max Scherzer versus the Philadelphia Phillies the next day before the Nationals head on the road to New York. Well, since you brought it up, Todd, it's been 27 days without a thank you. Just I, I know you were thinking about that. You were waiting for me to point it out. So We're going to have to call. Is, isn't Jimmy Fallon writes the thank you notes, right? Yes. Yeah, well, Bryce uh, Harper, have, should, he should write his thank yeah, you like that. We have a company connection. We, you, should, <laughs> you should get in touch with him, Chase, and yeah. ask him how thank you notes are supposed to work here. Yeah, he should sit at a desk. He should open up a card and... And have it narrated, what with uh, yeah, with that a, little a piano music, yeah. with the music, yeah. If you guys wouldn't mind, I'd just like to write out my weekly thank you notes right now. Is that okay with you guys? Thank you. All right, and since you brought it up, I happen to be scrolling through Instagram, and Bryce has been a little bit more active since going silent during this off season, obviously, because he was, you know, trying to work through a huge, huge decision. He posts a photo. It looks to be probably the first time coming up the dugout on the Philly side. And you will hear about this in our post-game sound. We're going to give you a media scrum in Philadelphia from Bryce Harper. And he captioned the Instagram the following. How I longed to see these things. How I longed to see the Liberty Bell and party on the streets where Bobby Clark, Nick, BD in quotes, Foles, and Chase Utley had partied. Hashtag family with a PH. What's BD stand for? (laughs) Not, not for this podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> but all right, so, uh, first of know. all, he's not going to party. Second of all, uh, he's been to Citizens Bank Park like a hundred times. He's been to Philly a hundred times. He couldn't go see the Liberty Bell? Like, what are you, Look, do, what are you he's doing? He's embracing man? the villain role by this photo. You the, think so? And this caption. In the black and white? Are you reading into that? 100%. Really? 100%. Wow. Todd, he, he is absolutely embracing the role of villain, and he's going to be living it well into his 30s. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. There's a there's a dual right. thing happening there. Of he he wants to ingratiate himself in the Philadelphia sports oh, culture. Yeah. The hashtag well family poke at everybody poke at everybody else who seemingly wasn't too interested in paying him three hundred and thirty million dollars. Look, it's a calculated decision too, right? That's how you that's how you become beloved in Philly. Oh, I'm gonna love this. He's gonna be the. This is an MB trolling, but this is he's yeah. gonna be the perfect villain but you know what i was actually talking to someone in the office about this last night gary carter producer of dc sports live and i was saying that i think philly fans we all wonder like if he's hitting 250 in june or july are they going to turn on him and i was saying they'll probably <laughs> turn on him a lot quicker than they would say a joel Embiid or someone who they feel like is their own because 
Harper, they've hated for years. It's going to be very easy for them to hate him again, right? Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I think just naturally he's a very divisive figure. Even if you don't like care for someone like Embiid, some of the things he does, you kind of chuckle at, right? With Some of the things I think Bryce does, you're not chuckling at them lightly. You're very irritated with them. Right, so, you have a strong reaction one way or the other. Yeah, and he knows that. So, I, you know, I agree with most of your point, Bob. I'm 100% agree with everything's calculated with him and with his social media and with marketing and what he says and what he doesn't say. So, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens when, when he shows up here in Washington, D.C., something he's already said is going to be weird. Again, we're checking out Bryce Harper's Instagram latest post uh, 15 hours ago now. Bryce Harper 3 on Instagram to check that out. And again, stick around for the end of the podcast. We'll have the most recent media scrum from Philadelphia. Transitioning into our next topic here, Craig Kimbrell. As the door closed for the Nationals, he still remains unsigned as one of the league's top closers, you might say, over the last few years. Todd, has the door closed for the Nationals? I don't think the door is closed for anyone in regard to signing him. I do think the door is closed that that's going to happen anytime soon. I, I don't expect him to be anywhere until the middle of the season, really? barring a major injury. So that's why we kind of have the Brewers on the radar here, is that they have an injury issue. And Their closer, Corey Knable, uh, hurt his UCL. Might have Tommy right. John surgery, and they right. still didn't sign him. Right. So, you know, that's they have to figure out Milwaukee, the way they spend money. They have to figure out, do do we want to spend money on this guy? And they have to figure out the way they piece together their pitching staff with a bunch of relievers and a bunch of guys doing different things, does having a straight-up closer-closer guy kind of fit what they want to do, especially at that price point? Um, it makes sense for Atlanta to be talking to him because it seems that if you kind of burn through everyone's roster, Atlanta already has injuries, and they're kind of falling behind in the division. Just as we as we head toward opening day, if you look at their rotation, they have a very young guys are number two. They have Julio Tehran as their, you know, opening day starter once again, and things seem a little off there. But in general, I think anyone who signs Kimbrel, it's probably not happening until the middle of the season. Um, if he's waited this long, it seems to me him and Keuchel are both, you know, stubborn enough that they'll continue to wait. And when somebody loses leverage, then they'll be there to take advantage. Middle of the season, that would be wild. Uh, but at this point, he must be holding out for a lot of money and a lot more years than any, anyone else is trying to give them give him because the Milwaukee Brewers uh, signed a reliever, Alex Wilson, who some people say you know was kind of the, the spot that they could have given Craig Kimbrell. Maybe Milwaukee uh, is still interested. We know they've been talking to Kimbrell. But there just doesn't seem to be that serious of a suitor, and here we are with technically the season already starting and for everyone else about to start. Um, Craig Kimbrell, man, he's he's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday, I think. But he is just looking for a contract that no one wants to give a reliever um, and no one wants to give to a closer. Didn't we hear something like he wanted 80, 90 million or something like that? Yeah, up to like six years, 100, stuff like that. And, you know, as everyone knew in the winter, basically, he's not getting Kenley Jansen money because that, that ship has sailed, right? And the, the value of the just like straight up save has never been lower since it became a thing. So they teams want to pay for really effective relievers, but they also want to pay for flexibility at this point. So if you're just kind of hardening your ways and you're going to be the ninth inning guy only, you're not going to want to match up. You're not going to be 
more versatile, then that's a problem for you these days, especially if you're an older pitcher who just struggled a bit in the postseason. All that said, if whoever does sign him is presumably going to be a contending team and they're going to be bumping some other very good relievers into lower leverage situations, and that's going to be a fantastic scenario for them, which, of course, is always the argument for the Nationals to be looking at this because if you could ever deploy Sean Doolittle more often against left-handers and Craig Kimbrell more often against right-handers, you would have a devastating combination there no matter what inning the scoreboard said it was, eighth or ninth. You know, you attack those important moments with your best guys. It would be a great situation for them, especially since Kyle Bearclaw hasn't looked very good in spring training. And we don't want to put a lot of weight on spring training in, in, in any direction. It's just when you talk to guys and they say, well, the results weren't great, but I felt good. It just doesn't look like the results weren't great for Bearclaw. And he just didn't look quite right. So that's something for the Nationals to think about here as we go ticking toward their 25-man opening day roster. I have a question on that in a second, but I want to first say that it'd be interesting if Kimbrell came back to the Braves because I remember when he left, I think he got traded to the Padres, right? I went around the Nats clubhouse and I asked guys who had faced him for years and years being like, are you sad to see him go? And and I remember Ryan Zerman being like, yeah, I'm so sad to see him go. Like It was just like (laughs) heavy sarcasm because the guy by some measures has the best ERA or one of the best ERAs in MLB history. He's been completely unhittable at his best. So certainly there would be some guys who wouldn't want to see him back. But you mentioned Bearclaw, and that reminded me of the other bear in the Nationals' Mm -hmm. bullpen, Aaron Barrett. Well, it's the final day of spring training games, and maybe a mundane moment for for most playing. But for Aaron Barrett, this is a special moment as he's pitching on a Nationals' park mound for the first time in three and a half years. Barrett takes over, replacing Anibal Sanchez. Showed some flashes, right, in spring. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a chance that this comeback is actually completed? The I guy's think got ev- I think plates in his arm. Yeah, not not right now, but but eventually. Um, I thought his, if you look at his spring training ERA, it's not good. And every appearance I saw him make, something happened behind him that led to his ERA taking a hit. It wasn't actually. Was something that a that misplayed ball by Soto? It in was the, on Monday the, against the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, Monday. So there's another. You know, so he comes in, pitches one inning. Uh, I think even just two thirds, if I remember right, and. Soto has a misplay, so, you know, he gives up something there. So there were multiple times that happened to Aaron Barrett in the spring. They did. They were very careful with who he faced. He was coming in later in the games when regulars are typically out, so the competition level wasn't top, top. But at the same time, he got up to 92 miles an hour, sometimes touched 93. His slider was pretty good. And every time he does something, it, it's a new step. August 5th, 2015 was the last time he was on the mound in Nationals Park, and he was back there again Monday, as you said, Chase, with plates and screws in his elbow. He kept a can of WD-40 in his <laughs> locker all spring as a joke to say when that stuff gets gummed up, he just sprays down his elbow, and he's back, you know. He's already got go. a good nickname, the Bear, but yeah. WD-40 is a nice second nickname. Yeah, so um, David Martinez said he expects to see him at some point this season. We'll see where they send him. It will be interesting to see where they send him in the minors. My guess would be Harrisburg to double-A. If you recall, he was only in Auburn last year at, at low-A, so um, he still has some steps to go. One more quick thought on Kimbrell, and then we'll move on to your quick hits, Chase. It's for Todd. So let's say if, if Kimbrell did join the staff, right, 30 years old, coming off, he's a World Series champion, 2018 MLB All-Star, 
where would he fit? If you're Davey, where does he fit in in that eight, nine close game innings? In a perfect world, you're using him when things are at the at their most troubling for right-handed batters, right? So if, if there, there are runners on in the eighth inning and one of the best right-handed hitters in the league is coming up, you want to say, all right, we're putting Craig Kimbrell in the game now. <laughs> this, is, this is how it should work. And, and then Sean Doolittle will pitch the ninth, and, and it would be the reverse, right? If Freddie Freeman is coming up in the eighth in a situation and you want to put Sean Doolittle out there. So, but I don't know that Kimbrell would buy into that idea, and that would be one of the challenges. We do know that Sean Doolittle, as much as he enjoys being the closer, if you sign Craig Kimbrell, he's not going to put up a stink. He's going to say, I'll pitch when you tell me to pitch, and, you know, things are great. He's already, Sean Doolittle is already outperforming his contract, which makes this even a thought, because financially, if you were paying Sean Doolittle what he was worth, you probably can't pay Kimbrell, but you have him at such a low valuation and he's so effective, you're, you're getting a deal there. So my assumption would be he would be called the quote-unquote closer. You see Sean Doolittle do some closing, um, and that would bump Rosenthal down the line too, down toward the seventh. So then if you're 789, essentially is Rosenthal, Doolittle, Kimbrell. Now you're kind of approaching Yankees land, right, with mm-hmm. all the weapons they have down there. Certainly not as many, but you know, you're know you moving in that direction. So... It seems a bit fantasy right now, if they, especially with their stance about the competitive balance tax, but it would be a monster, monster move that would be well-received in the clubhouse. That much I know. Certainly. Well, like we said, there's a little bit of a holdout going on. You're seeing this in different leagues. We saw it in the NFL with, with Le'Veon Bell, and now we're seeing it here. So let's see how long into Major League Baseball season it takes for the hurler from the former, well, the former Red Sox now. Uh, takes to land with a team. All right, let's go into Chase's quick hits. He was in his lab last night concocting a <laughs> few different numbers here. Do, do we have intro music for this? Or <laughs> it feels like it, right? Or let's have Tim, we'll have Tim Shovers <laughs> add some music. All right, so here's what we'll do. I will present the question that you created. I will say the over-under number. I thought I was going through my own. The over-unders. Do you, do you want to? Yeah, because yeah, okay. you're answering the question. Okay. Yeah. I was go- Okay, I was going to tee you up, but go right ahead. No, so, okay, so this is a season. <laughs> Bob, for- don't mess with his over Yeah, come on, man. I know. Look, this is the last time. I forgot you're sensitive with your predictions. <laughs> all right, this is the final time you could do it until next year. So go I, right ahead. I, I think there's pr- mid-season predictions. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. The stage is yours. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, this is a season prediction segment. Over-unders. Uh, i got to give a hat tip to Mark Zuckerman, my former colleague, who does this before every season with, um, Nationals beat reporters with questions, and then they uh, they revisit the answers at the end of the season. But I'm adding over-unders to these. So let's start with how many All-Stars will the Nats have and who will be their All-Stars? I'm setting the over-under at two and a half because last year they had two, the year before they had five, the year before that they had five. But keep in mind, a guy who was a perennial lock is now not on the team, Bryce Harper. So throws a wrench into how many All-Stars they will have and whom. I'll take the over, barely, uh, and I'll say Rendon, Turner, and Max Scherzer. Cool. I'm going to go under. Turner, uh, Rendon and Turner would be first-time All-Stars. That's two. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, we got to kind of go on the hop here for these quick hits, but I'm going to go a under. A well-balanced attack this year has, has my reasoning behind that. Okay. I'm going 
over slightly. I got Scherzer, Doolittle, and Rendon. I think if the Nats are good, Doolittle will get in, and Rendon will get his first all-star nod. Who leads the staff and wins, and with how many? I set the, the over-under with Scherzer because he's the favorite at 18 and a half. Yeah, I'll say over, but just barely at 19 for him. For him? That's the same answer for me. Since coming to Washington, he's gone 14, 20, 16, and 18, respectively, in those four seasons. I'll go just under. Just under? Okay. How many steals will Trey Turner have? He had 43 last year. I'm setting the over-under at 39.5 because it looks like he's going to be batting second quite a bit. I'll definitely take the over there. The over? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 100%. 46-43, as you mentioned last year. 46 prior to that. I'm going over. 43 led the league last year. Yeah, I'm going to go slightly under. I'm going with 38 because just one injury could affect that. So how many homers will Juan Soto hit? I'm setting the over-under at 27.5. He had 22 last year, but that was a 31-homer pace over the course of a full season. <laughs> I, the number that popped in my head before you said the the uh, over under number was twenty eight, so I guess I'll oh, go, okay. so I guess I'll go slightly over, over again, just slightly over. Yeah, I'm gonna go over as well. Twenty two through one hundred and sixteen games when joining the club last year, so I'll go over. Okay, I'm gonna go under with twenty five. How many saves will Sean Doolittle have? I've set the over and over under at twenty six and a half. Keep in mind, he's never posted more than twenty five in a season, but. I don't know. Something tells me he's gonna he's gonna set a career high. So the over under is twenty six and a half for Sean Doolittle saves. Todd, I'll say over and expect him to be more in the thirty two to thirty four range. Wow. Okay. Twenty one in twenty seventeen. Twenty five and eighteen. As you mentioned, I'm gonna go under again. That well balanced attack. There's gonna be different mixes and matches for Davey in the eighth and ninth. I'll go under. I'll go over with twenty eight. This one I think is really interesting. When will Carter Keboom make his MLB debut? I'll set the over under at June first. I'll take I'll take the over. I don't think we see him until September unless someone gets really? hurt. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I, people I, always get hurt, Todd. I know, but they still they <laughs> they have they have other guys behind there too. Um, Defoe is clearly the better defender than Carter Keboom right now, uh, though he can't hit. So the, the, I think it's not just a, a, a quick flush to bring him in. I'll go under. Under? I'm going under as well, May 5th. All right, two more. How many wins for the Nationals? Over-under is 90 and a half. Ooh. With the division, that makes that challenging. I've seen other, another over-under today at 89 and a half. So um, I'll say over at 91. 82 and 80 in 2018, finished second in the NL East. Well documented by now, I'm going to go under, but an improvement, 86. I'll go over. I think 94. I don't think they're going to be as good as they were a few years ago, but I think they, they get into the playoffs and, and win the division. All right, finally, how will the season end? I'm putting the over-under at NLDS and a half. <laughs> That's the best I can do. <laughs> uh, in other predictions I did, I, I have them going to the NLCS, so that would be the over. That would be the over. Yeah, beyond the half. Bob. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under. I'm going under. I think they get to the NLDS, but they lose there like they have in, in years past. But that would be a step forward. So. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. I like the step forward. That's a positive way to end the podcast. Again, this is the final podcast before Major League Baseball season. Fellas, buckle up. We've been buckled so up. So close, man. So close. Tight, up. Tighten that strap. I can almost taste the $16 beers, man. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's tweeting about you were just saying everybody's tweeting about the prices so it is yeah, that's not an exaggeration the beers are actually $16 for a Stella Artois right bring your cash <laughs> guys let's do it 162 it all starts tomorrow on Thursday a 105 first pitch the Mets come to town and we are 
there for it, as should you. Now, enjoy Todd's sit-down with Carter Keyboom and then a little media scrum up in Philly with Bryce Harper. Remember, the villain. Enjoy it, guys. We'll see you next time. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. Even closer to the number of pickoff attempts. This ball hit high and deep to left field by Carter Keeboom, and this ball is gone. The 21-year-old Keeboom. Carter, you're here in your first big league camp, uh, and you were here very early. I was, I got down here just before pitchers and catchers, but you were already roaming around here with your stuff and bats and everything. Uh, when did you get here, and, and why did you come down early? Yeah, I got here, uh, I believe, last Monday. Um, Spencer comes down early. Uh, I knew this was my first camp. Uh, I kind of wanted to show my face and get around, uh, get, get, get comfortable with the guys and the staff. Um, that way it wasn't all at once coming at you. Um, it was good. I mean, uh, I'm glad I got to come down here early, got to get here early and uh, get the ball rolling. And like I said, that's why now it's not boom all in your face at once. It's uh, it's pretty smooth transition. We talked to you when we saw you at Winterfest about what you're going to be doing positionally in the future and kind of what you did in the fall league and second base versus shortstop and all those things. And then drills down here, we've seen you at second and, and pop right over the shortstop and kind of learn your turn in double plays the other day at both spots. What's your comfort level around the bag from, from both sides of it there? I'm very comfortable. I mean, uh, yeah, they said uh, you're gonna. I mean, I'm gonna start playing some second base, but don't lose what you do at shortstop. Um, so in the offseason, I did. I pretty much split it up evenly. I may have done just a tad bit more work at second, just because it, it is something that's a little different, um, and I haven't played a lot of it in pro ball. But um, no, I, I mean, I, I did everything I do at shortstop in the offseason as, as usual, and then just added in uh, some second base there, and um, it's been great so far. What is this? If it's distinctly different for your feet, what is distinctly different for your footwork if you're at second base with someone coming at you and kind of using the bag for protection and stuff like that? I mean, ultimately, it's uh, second base is creating your own momentum towards towards first base and uh, redirecting the baseball versus uh, shortstop. You're typically always uh, having momentum to the base uh, given to you, um, just depending on where the ball's hit. Um, so ultimately, it's, it's really just turning your hips and, and redirecting your momentum to the base and um, creating it yourself. And there's always an argument that the uh, pitchers are ahead of hitters at this time of year and kind of early in the season. And you folks started live BP a few days ago. How did you feel in the box? Did anyone uh, jump out that you faced jump out to you uh, when you first hopped in there? Yeah, no, I'm getting more and more comfortable at it um, each time I go out. It's uh, definitely something you, 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 it takes time as a hitter um, to get that timing back. Um, the swing, I, I like the swing, and now it just comes down to timing uh, and make sure you're, you're swinging at the right pitches and stuff like that. But uh, no, pitchers, I mean, I, I mean, I worked out with Aaron Barrett all offseason. I've seen how hard he's worked and how far he's come um, with his setbacks. and. Um, he looked sharp. I mean, he had, he had some pitches working really well for him. Um, and I was really happy to see that, actually. And then um, Nunez, he looked unbelievable. His, his stuff was uh, 
his stuff had a lot of life and nothing nothing was straight and I mean he, he looked really sharp We've talked to Aaron about the process he's gone through, and that, that could be like an eight-hour conversation considering everything that he's had to, to navigate. Um, and he threw you a pretty nasty slider, it seemed, the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when, when you're working out with him in the offseason, and, and you and your brother obviously know him well, and you think about all the stuff he went through, kind of what goes through your mind about his journey back into this clubhouse? Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of wow. That's when you first. That's the first thing you say is wow. And um, it takes special somebody um, with a lot of passion, and heart to be able to um, overcome what he went through. Um, I mean, he was so close to being back out there on the field, and to have an injury like he did is uh, terrible for any player. And um, he, he, you can handle it two ways, and the wrong way or, or the right way. And Barrett, as you can see, has handled it, I mean, outstandingly, and um, he, he's kind of taken that platform that he has and, and the stuff he's gone through and helped other guys as well that have injuries that come down through Florida. I remember I, uh, I was hurt for a little bit a couple years ago, and he was down here uh, rehabbing, and some guys get down here with arm injuries, and Barrett's, Barrett's always talking to him. He's, he helps him through it. Um, he's he's an exceptional leader and he's an exceptional person. Um, so it's, it was pretty pretty cool to see him come all the way back from from the bottom all the way up to the top with this injury and um, continue to have success now. You had a really big ovation at your first at bat in spring training, and obviously you know what the buzz has been like in Philadelphia. Are you able to imagine what? the ovation or what the buzz might be on Thursday for you? Man, um, you know, just walking up the steps uh, today, actually, um, it was definitely different, uh, not being on the other side. Um, but coming up the steps, it was uh, it was cool to be able to see, uh, you know, citizens bake from that side. And then just imagining, you know, the crowd and the fans. I don't think uh, I can even envision what it's going to be like. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited to see what that's going to be like, see, uh, see what the ovation is going to be um, for not just myself, but my teammates as well. Um, I know there's a, a lot of excitement around the city right now um, for all of us, uh, not just me personally. So, um, but, you know, like I said, I'm very excited to be able to see what that's going to be like and uh, looking forward to it. Hey, Bryce, kind of playing off that. Do you remember uh, your first at-bat in the big leagues pretty clearly and, um, you know, Follow-up question would be, uh, you know, do you think this will be a different feeling than than that first at bat in the big leagues? Yeah, um, first at bat was in LA, of course. Um, so it was definitely different than being at a home ballpark. Um, so my first at bat in DC, I definitely remember uh, vividly. Um, so that was that was pretty cool to be able to get my first standing O, I guess you could say, um, from you know my home fan base. Uh, so I mean, I think this is just a new chapter. I think it's definitely going to be uh, a little bit different. Um, it coming from Philly um, instead of DC. So like I said, you know, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to be. Uh, you know, out there and wearing a Philly uniform um, and just, you know, being out there day one. I mean, uh, I'm just very excited to be able to be in front of a new fan base and, uh, you know, see what it's all about. This town loves a winner, and, and you know that by playing in the division. And with all the hype of all you new guys, it, you know, really the excitement is through the roof. Now that you've played a little bit with these guys, have you thought about what the potential could be? You know, I think day one at spring training, you're always wanting to win. I mean, if uh, if you go into spring and think to, you know, have a subpar year or anything like that, then, uh, you know, you're not mentally in the right state. So um, as a team, as an organization, I think uh, – you know, we're where we want to be. Um, I think we just got to, you know, come together more as a team, um, 
you know, than we already are. And, uh, you know, just go about it the right way and play the game hard. Um, you know, win as many games as we can, take it day by day. And, uh, you know, we have the group. We have the group to win. Um, we got a great group of guys. Um, the NL East is a, is a juggernaut. Played in it for, you know, the last seven years. And it, it's been tough, you know, each year. So um, the Nationals are going to be really good. Uh, the Mets have a great pitching staff, good pitching depth. Uh, the Braves also. Um, so, I mean, our first, you know, five games are against, uh, you know, two NL East op- uh, opponents. And, you know, I think we'll, uh, you know, we'll see where we're at in the first month. And, you know, if we can win each month, uh, have more wins and losses each month, then uh, we'll be right where we want to be in going into September and, uh, you know, see where we're at. Talking with JT last night, he said that he feels like his team gelled really well in spring training. I'm curious for you, was there a moment in spring training where you felt like this team clicked? Yeah, um, I mean, truthfully, day one. I mean, I really, uh, you know, I walked into the clubhouse and it was open arms from everybody. So um, you never know what you're going to get, especially, I mean, I've only played in one clubhouse. I've only played for one team and, and uh, you know, in one place. So definitely nerve wracking and a little nervous as well uh, walking in there. Um, but I mean, from day one, it uh, it felt right. And I mean, it's uh, I always you know talk about family and um, being a family, being one unit. And uh, I get that from this team. Um, every guy has your back, and you know, vice versa. So um, I'm very excited to go go to battle with these guys, as you, as you could say. And I think everybody in the clubhouse is very excited, and uh, we're ready to get going. And uh, you know, hopefully, win a couple of ball games and you know, see where we're at. Did um, all the excitement of your signing? Did it catch you a little bit by surprise, just how, how much uh, the city has, you know, taken to that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a great sports city, so um, I don't know if it caught me by surprise or not. But, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, nice to feel loved coming into the Philly instead of the, the other side, you know. So, uh, you know, being on the other side and things like that. So, um, you know, I've talked about it throughout spring, um, being in a, in a place where the fan base love all, loves all their teams, the Eagles here. Um, you know, the Phillies or, you know, the Flyers or the Sixers, um, you know, they love their teams. You know, they ride and die with us all year long. And, uh, you know, the fan base is great. So we're excited to, uh, you know, to get going, play in front of these fans. And, uh, you know, hopefully they pack it out every night for us and, you know, we can give it back to them as well. Bryce, what, if anything, have you learned about Gabe Kapler in the last three weeks that you didn't know before? Uh, playing for him, even if it was a spring training game. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, me personally, I think he's he's very genuine. You know, he really cares about the guys in this clubhouse. Um, you know, and really just is personal with each guy, um, not just one guy. Um, you know, all 25 guys he has a relationship with, he wants to have that relationship with, and, uh, you know, he just really cares. You know, little things go a long way um, with anybody. So um, being able to walk into a clubhouse knowing that your manager has your back each and every night uh, makes you want to play harder for him, makes you want to play well for him. And, uh, you know, it's just I'm excited to be able to, you know, learn from him each day. He's been around the game for a long time. So if I can learn from him, you know, something from him or Thompson um, or Dusty or anybody, um, I'm definitely going to be open ears and, uh, you know, try to learn the best I can from each one of them. Bryce, one advantage about staying in the division, you're going to see your former team 19 times, and that starts early next week. Are you just trying to stay focused on the Braves, or is in the back of your mind are you thinking, hey, it's not going to be long before you're back on the other side for the first time? Yeah, uh, you know, growing up, I played for multiple teams. You know, I went in and I'd play for a team one weekend and play for another team next weekend. Um, you know, I, I try to beat that team the best I can, and, you know, sometimes we lose, sometimes we win. So, uh, you know, the Nationals are a great team. They're going to be a great team this year, and uh, everybody knows that. And, uh, you know, for me, I just I want to focus on what we can as a team, you know, as a clubhouse, and control what we can, and that's playing hard, trying to win ball games. And, uh, you know, when we get to D.C., it's definitely going to be weird, you know, walking into an opposing clubhouse and seeing the other guys from afar. Um, you know, I I wish those guys nothing but the best on that side of the, side of the baseball. Um, you know, the relationships I'll miss most are, you know, with the – 
the workers there and, you know, seeing those guys and the staff and things like that. But also, you know, I'm looking forward to being a Philadelphia Philly, going in there and, you know, doing our job against, uh, you know, one of our opponents. What are your impressions of the way Bryce Harper mania has taken over this town and, and Philly's fans specifically? Yeah, um, you know, like I was saying uh, to Matt, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the big things for us is, you know, it could you know, all be Bryce Harper mania or anything like that. But as a team, I think everybody's really excited. Um, you know, we were able to add, uh, you know, a couple all-stars to this team with, uh, you know, McCutcheon and uh, Siggy and uh, Real Muto, of course. And, you know, with coming to a great group of guys of, you know, Reese and uh, Arietta. I mean, you go on, go on and on about the, you know, the team that we do have. Um, you know, of course, it's on a different level um, sometimes with myself, uh, just, you know, just coming to a new team and things like that. So everybody's very excited. Um, but, you know, as a group, as a unit, um, it's all about us. You know, it's not about, you know, one person or anything like that. We're all 25 guys pulling on the same rope every single day. And uh, if we can keep that mentality and, and do those things and not, uh, you know, think about one guy or anything like that, um, we're going to be okay. We're going to be, you know, successful as a team. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to just being another guy out there trying to play my game and, you know, do the things I can to have a great season. And if I can do that, we'll be, we'll be successful. Sort of on the human side of it, obviously there's going to be a lot going on opening day, standing ovation most likely, et cetera. But when you step into the batter's box, I mean, you're going to have to do something or how do you sort of control that to make sure you're not too hyped up for that first at-bat? You know, it's funny. I was talking to Gabe probably, uh, man, probably first day of spring or second day of spring training. And um, when I step in the batter's box, my heart rate, everything like that, it, it's controlled. Um, you know, it's my sanctuary. It's what I do. Um, you know, I get more stressed out driving down the, you know, highway or the freeway in traffic or, you know, super nervous about that or anxiety. Um, so when I step into a batter's box, you know, 45,000 people going crazy, I would love to put a heart rate monitor on to see what it looks like. Um, because I just, I enjoy those moments. I enjoy, you know, the craziness and, you know, that's, that's what I do. You know, I, I, uh, I love that. I love those situations. And, you know, I think it's that, uh, you know, jumping out of a plane kind of feeling when you get, you get into a batter's box and bottom of the ninth bases loaded or even the first game of a series or uh, first game playing somewhere new. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, feeling what that feels like uh, again and uh, being in those situations of high intensity emotion and, you know, anything like that. So very excited.